This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America, the smart choice for ID implementations. Put citizens in control with Get Mobile ID, fully ISO compliant 18013-5, and surpasses AMVA guidelines. Learn more at getgroupna.com. Welcome to AmvaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the AMVA community. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone. This week, uh, I am pleased to have Shirley Daverman from the Royal Canadian Mounted Police and Brian Orsino, our Director of Law Enforcement at AMVA, to talk a little bit about RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, our partnership with them. What's the same, what's different when compared to our knowledge of law enforcement in the U.S.? So first of all, Shirley, welcome to the AmvaCast. Really excited to have you here. Thank you, Ian, and I'm glad to be here as well. And Brian, welcome back. Thank you, sir. You've been here before. Good to have you here again as well to join Shirley and I for this conversation. So Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the Mounties as they are, infamously known and recognized worldwide, really. I mean, it's a global symbol of the the Mountie. So how long have you been with with RCMP? I've been with the RCMP for 25 years now. Okay. Yes, my first uh, posting was in British Columbia in Coquitlam, which is next to uh, Burnaby, um, and it's in the Lower Mainland. Yeah. So I was there for 10 years, first 10 years of my uh, career. And uh, yes, and then I went to uh, Quebec for another 10 years, and I did federal policing there. So when I was in BC, I did the frontline police officers wearing the uniform, and then I went into an organized crime in BC for the last four years there. And then I migrated to uh, Quebec, where I was able to use my mother tongue French. And I worked, it's funny because it was quite hard to speak French again after working in English for so long because all the police jargon I learned it in English and I didn't uh, know what it was in French. But you know, you, you get used to, uh, to it. But 10 years in uh, Quebec, I did national uh, security and then I went into the covert world, which I was a source development, um, I worked for the source development unit, which is recruiting uh, confidential informant and agents. Mm-hmm. So I did that for the last four years. And then I went to Ottawa for um, the six years that I've been there. And I went to the covert uh, site as well, working the policy center, ensuring that, you know, when we do cross-border investigation, for instance, with the United States or internationally, work the policy center in that regards. And uh, then I went into contract and indigenous policing, which is another business line. And, uh, and uh, I've been working there since uh, 2019. And I'm, now I'm the uh, officer in charge of national traffic programs and uh, operational technologies. So it's, even in, in your own very quick recap of your career, it gives us a little bit of an insight of how broad the portfolio of the RCMP is. Of course, you know, our nexus is on that traffic safety piece where you finished or currently are, not you're finished with your career, but finished <laughs> your story thus far. Um, but if you were to explain, you know, it's the RCMP is in and of itself a national law enforcement agency uh, with these many different business lines. Uh, how would you summarize that for someone who maybe isn't as familiar with the, the diverse portfolio 
you know, the RCMP. Good question. And this is what I wanted to start with, explaining what the RCMP is yeah. a little bit. So the RCMP mandate is to, uh, it's a Nash, being the national federal police in Canada. So having said that, it's uh, you have the FBI, Homeland Security here, and, mm -hmm. and Secret Services. We do all this. We embody all those functions. So this, those are our mandates. So having said that, we have the federal portion, and we only, uh, in, in each provinces, but mainly, if you look at Ontario and Quebec, which are two provinces in, within Canada where we do the federal policing, well, the provincial police they, is, is done by their provincial police, OPP, mm -hmm. Ontario Pol Provincial Police, and as well as Sorti du Québec in Quebec. So having said that, we also have the contract policing side that we do. So we do cover those eight other provinces and three territories. So uh, having said that, because you explained it so well, we're so broad in our mandate. Is it efficient? What I like with this is it gives us opportunities as police officers to cover many things, to mm -hmm. be able to uh, have opportunities across the country. But at the same time, it, there's a lot of challenges and complexities in trying to, you know, to deal with all uh, the, the, um, the mandates that we need to provide to the provinces and have uniformity. So having a place like EMVA, where you have different states, but able to have an organization such as this one, to be able to have some standards across the states is something that I look forward to try to modernize certain things that we do in our provinces and territories because we are have regional differences. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's hard to try to find a common place. So um, yes, the mandate is very large. And for those reasons, multidisciplinaries, makes it a little bit uh, challenging for us. And if, if I heard you correctly then, other than Ontario and Quebec that have their own jurisdictional law enforcement agency, um, I guess, Brian, maybe the equivalent of having a state police agency, they have their own. Yes. The RCMP fills that purpose in all of the other jurisdictions yes. of Canada. Yes, but you have to understand, provincially, yes, they do. Yeah. But there's also other municipal police, such as Vancouver PD, and uh, you'll have in Quebec, Montreal, uh, police. Sure, the local, yes, exactly. city, you know, the equivalent of the city police that exactly. we would see in the U.S. Uh, but the, I think the interesting piece is that in those other provinces, you're both the federal agency as well as the jurisdictional level yes. agency. Uh, because, say, you know, your example of where you started in British Columbia, there is no British Columbia law enforcement no. agency. It's just Vancouver might have a police force, but then beyond that, it's the RCMP. Exactly. And so, you know, when you talk about the world of traffic safety and traffic law enforcement, you know, how, how do you, how does your CMP manage and balance the role of being a federal nationwide law enforcement agency with the responsibilities within a individual jurisdiction where maybe the jurisdiction traffic laws may not be uniform exactly. across the board? Is that, how do you tackle that, that challenge? Whether how we tackle yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Consultations, a lot of them. But the things is, it's run provincially, so there's things that we can't do. Like, I mean, as the national traffic programs yeah. at headquarters, uh, we recognize the fact that, for instance, if you look at BC or even Newfoundland, they have different provincial laws. That right. They, yes. So, therefore, they, ha up, they have to adhere to those laws motor vehicle branch laws. So uh, it's really hard for us. We try to provide them with some national policies to, you know, to be able to ensure that the frontline officers have the same jargon when they go and interact mm. with the public. But having said that, even though we do have policies, they do have supplemental policies to ensure that they can um, um, better um, 
better day-to-day -day operations uh, have solutions for and having those policies and working with the existing policies that we have and try to accommodate uh, the differences that they have, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Brian, I know you recently had an opportunity um, to join Shirley visiting, you know, the, our RCMP in Canada. Um, it was your first time, I know, being in person up there with them. And how, if you were to characterize your observations in terms of comparing, contrasting with law enforcement in the U.S. Uh, paint me a picture that, you know, those of us that are so U.S. focused and understanding the state police model, you know, how this model compares and contrasts. Sure. Um, it's very different and it's very much the same. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the best um, I figured that was yes. going to be the answer. Yeah. I asked the question. Yes. Uh, um, I, I'd like to begin by saying um, how great it's been to have Shirley on the Law Enforcement Standing Committee at AMVA. RCMP has a standing position on our com committee, and for various circumstances, previous representatives weren't able to be as involved as Shirley. And it was because of Shirley that I got invited to Ottawa. Mm. And um, they held a, a national traffic uh, services meeting where they had um, folks from all over Canada present. And I was invited to give an AMBA presentation, an AMBA overview. And um, I saw a multitude of light bulbs going off throughout the room as I was speaking, mm. much like when Shirley first joined us and her light bulb went off, like mm -hmm. who AMVA is, what we do, and, and how they, they could and should leverage us to help them accomplish their mission, right? right. That's why we're here. Um, but I saw those light bulbs going off in the room as I spoke, and so I, I thank Shirley for that opportunity to come to Ottawa and speak to them. And as a re direct result of that engagement, uh, we have, for example, uh, we have a Region 4 Administrators Roundtable coming up very soon mm -hmm. in California, and we have uh, two of the RCMP leaders um, coming to join us for the very first time. We'll have one from uh, British Columbia and one from Alberta mm. uh, coming to join the Administrators Roundtable in Region 4. So I'm very excited at the prospect of getting RCMP even more engaged with AMBA than they have been. And again, that's mostly thanks thanks to Shirley. And it connects, and just you know, to drive that point home, it's because you know, they're coming, even though they're part of RCMP, which is this federal agency, it's in their role as being the equivalent of the jurisdictional law enforcement agency the same way Washington State Patrol would come right. to the Administrator's Roundtable or a CHP would come to the Roundtable. That's table. exactly right. And what I meant by different but the same is you've already covered the, the national um, perspective and the national mandate versus only having um, uh, they have um, uh, jurisdictional responsibility in all but two provinces. And that's really the, the largest difference. They only have two provinces that have a provincial-wide policing agency, and Shirley already mentioned that that is Ontario and Quebec. The others don't. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the United States, and here's a piece of trivia for our listeners, um, not all 50 states have a, a state police or highway patrol agency. There's only 49. And uh, I'll just pause and let people think about that. But the, the, the answer is Hawaii. Hawaii, Hawaii is the yeah. only state that does not have a statewide police or highway patrol agency. Um, so, um, but... When I say, but at the same time, we're very much the same. When I was listening to um, their folks talk about their issues of the day, everything from uh, recruitment and retention mm -hmm. and um, police pursuits, the, the issues are identical. What yeah. RCMP is faced with, and I just came from an ICP meeting and, and a two-day meeting with the state police colonels, and what they talk about, the hot topics of the day, they're, they're the very same. And that's yeah. 
Another example why it's so important that the RCMP in, um, is engaged with the ANVA and our law enforcement members in particular to exchange challenges and um, uh, potential solutions to these problems because they're all the same. Yeah. So let me ask you, Shirley, agree. a little more directly. What what are those top topics, top challenges in that in the traffic safety, traffic enforcement world um, that you're working on right now at, at RCMP where you see that that overlap? When Brian talks about those light bulbs that went off, um, you were probably going, yeah, I, I knew these were the same topics. But you know, for those listening, what, what are those topics for you? Retention, recruitment yeah. is yeah. one of them. Yeah. And I don't think it's only for law enforcement. I think it's across the world where yeah. people are finding that they have a lot of HR issues. Um, other topics, all the other topics that you, we've mentioned, sure. we all share them. But there's something I'd like to draw our attention to is the Charter of Rights and Freedoms that we have in Canada since 1982. That is very uh, influencing the way we do policing. Uh, basically, you know, um, Justin Trudeau's dad, who used to be our prime minister at the time, uh, um, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, he's the one... Ooh, I love the way you say that. Who <laughs> <laughs> initiate that Charter of Rights. And actually, you know, when you see, if you go on the internet and check Google uh, Charter of Rights, you will see um, Pierre Elliott Trudeau and the Queen, and he's signing it. Mm. So having said that, what it's done, it's uh, giving the power to the people to ensure that their, uh, many of their rights are... Um, being listened to. Uh, for instance, uh, there's a lot of things for when you think about seizures mm -hmm. that we have to be careful, privacy concerns because of the Charter of Rights. You know, they have the, uh, the, the you know, freedom of speech, uh, freedom to be respected, freedom to, you know, to have, um, to not be discriminated against. So it does influence our laws and we have a lot of case law that comes from uh, charter challenges. For instance, if we you know, I don't want to use the word frisk, but if we search someone mm -hmm. and they believe it wasn't done the proper way, then we can have a charter issue. Mm -hmm. And then it goes, you know, even though we, we you know, it's a day-to-day -day operation, but we have to be cognizant of a charter of, of rights constantly when we do our work with the public. So this, I don't want to say it's an impediment, but it is in a sense that we have to be careful. So we work with many stakeholders to ensure that we do our work properly and uh, not to interfere mm -hmm. with uh, the Charter of Rights. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, and you said that was in 82? Yes, that 1982. Saying? So that's, I mean, it's, that's been a while oh now, yes oh know? yes so we're, we're getting used to that i would say yeah. it would probably be harder at the time but now we are right. so used to this and you can see even members they're always questioning themselves if they're allowed to do certain things because of the charter of rights yeah and it, do you have you had the opportunity to compare that with how that same activity might be on the u.s side where does it does it restrict you more do you have more opportunities or is it is it what we have here, but just said in a different way? Let me give you an example. It's yeah. probably not related to traffic, but I could okay. know that cross-border investigation that we've done under the covert world, for instance, you know, having, uh, let's say, a confidential informant providing us information. Mm -hmm. And if they're Canadian-based and they're in the United States, there's certain things we have to be cognizant of because of the Charter of Rights to not, you know, uh, enfrain on their rights. So 
it's really hard because sometimes you want to advance the progress into the investigation, but those are things we need to be aware of. So if uh, you have a Canadian, for instance, that is in the United States and there's a covert operation going on, we have to ensure that they are protected, even mm -hmm. though they're on American soil. And how do you do that? Because you have your American laws as well, so we cannot, you know, take our Canadian laws and bring them, you know, into of course. American soil. So there's, you know, it's case by case. Most, and we try to ensure that when we go, you know, for uh, and when it's being uh, tried in Canada, that there's no e challenge or charter issues when it's time to mm -hmm. um, to go in court during the court proceedings. But having said that, sometimes we work with our Americans counterparts, and if it's easier to have the the, the the investigation tried in the United States, so that's the way we will go. So sometimes, you know, you'll see that okay, there's two an investigation going in both countries. Mm -hmm. It's about bilateral investigation. But but it's been tried in the United States because it's easier. Right. This year, there's less challenges, complexities. Because uh, in the United States, sometimes, well, I guess because of the charter, you're restricted more on how you can approach maybe prosecuting somebody or going after them, whereas the laws in the U.S., maybe generically speaking, um, the, I don't know, the, the one who's accused maybe has less rights? I don't think those, that's the right phrase, but I guess... You no, know. exactly. I know what you mean, but it's it, there's so many rights that, uh, you know, when you look at our citation, for instance, uh, that's the word that I guess you use in the United States, when you go and arrest, uh, you know, when they're under arrest and you read them, you know, their, their rights. Yep. Well, already there, there's things that we have to do and, uh, for instance, provide them, you know, a lawyer as soon as possible. So things like that, if there's a delay incurred, then it could be you know, a challenge in court. Right. So therefore, we have to be cognizant of all these little technicalities that, you know, we can lose in yeah. court easily. So, and yeah, is it, I mean, am I, um, Am I oversimplifying it, Brian, to say it's their version of the Miranda rights? That's and, what I was going you know, to compare it to. Yeah, but it's maybe a little, little bit of a higher Stringent, I would say much yeah. more stringent, yes. Okay. Have you had a chance, Brian, to look and compare that, that at all? No, I'm very hard, very sorry to say that it's harder because it's hard enough here. I can imagine <laughs> having to deal with something that's even harder than all the complexities and restrictions that, that some of that our... That exist in the, exactly. in the U.S. Yeah. And what about on the traffic safety side? What are the trends? You, you know, obviously when we look at the U.S., we it's, it's not new trends, right? Aggressive driving, impaired driving, unsafe speeds. And Is it similar challenges that are the driving same, the fatalities? The same, and it's funny that you say that because yesterday we did receive a message from France actually one thing you know road rage they've increased since COVID apparently you know the driving mm -hmm. uh, has uh, increased the fact that we have international drivers as well that probably are not cognizant of our laws and because uh, and you can see a lot of erratic driving um, being the trends and the drugs as well because you know that cannabis is now allowed across the country in Canada since 2018 uh, that the law has been enacted. And because of this, we see that with COVID, uh, the, law, the, the numbers of our DRE has decreased because there were no other courses where, um, I don't want to say terminated, but they were all canceled for that time being. Oh. So we saw an increase in impaired driving and not only by alcohol, but also by drugs. So now we're trying slowly to get our numbers up again. But that, what I would say, yes, the aggressiveness in the street that we see that we didn't notice before is increasing much more right now. And COVID, I would say, had an impact on this. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a great, great example of how things are similar between us because in the United States, it's exactly the same thing. 
uh, the number of our drug recognition experts or DREs are way down. Mm -hmm. Our drug impaired, um, well, and, and beyond DREs, general impaired driving enforcement is down. Um, and our crashes are going up, our deaths and injuries are going up, and crime's going up. And are, Brian, are we seeing in the states that have legalized recreational marijuana, are we seeing trends there that are similar or consistent with some of the trends Shirley was mentioning as you, they saw legal nationalization, uh, nas you know, yeah, legalization throughout the country? There are absolute parallels. We are seeing uh, a lot of data now that has been legal here for a while in many states. We're seeing data that is showing an increase of um, uh, THC-impaired drivers being involved in uh, fatal crashes. But even more than that is the polysubstance abuse involvement mm -hmm. where people are mixing um, many different kinds of illicit and legal drugs, even prescription mm -hmm, drugs, mm -hmm. while they drive. But, but what the data tells us is the most of all the potential combinations of different drugs, including alcohol as a drug, uh, the most common combination is THC and alcohol. Mm. Same with us. And so how are you, uh, how's the RCMP approaching that from an enforcement strategy? To increase our numbers? Is that, yeah, is that, yeah. Get, get more <laughs> officers out? Yeah. Oh, definitely. But we're finding that it's also hard to get uh, officers um, interested in, not interested, it's not a lack of interest, it's a lack of a commitment that we have because drug recognition experts and because I've explained to you how the RCMP works, yeah. they have the possibility not only to work interprofessionally but also overseas because we have approximately, mm. I don't know how many members we have outside, but I know we cover 20-something 20 countries outside of Canada where we have liaison officers who are represented by RCMP members. So having said that, the opportunities are large. Mm. So when you have a drug recognition expert, we need to keep them. But then, you know, we have promotion, um, you know, opportunities that people will want to apply for. And therefore, we're losing these people that have been that got the experience that we would like to retain. Yeah. But because of promotional opportunities, we do end up losing them. Yeah. Sure. Um, in the U.S., one of the things that, you know, is a big have a conversation is always the collaboration and coordination between the government agencies that issue a driver's license, test for the driver's license, the vehicle credentials, and that coordination with the, the law enforcement agency. Um, have you had the opportunity on, you know, in the Canadian side uh, to have those relationships, whether it's in your direct role or what you're hearing from folks who are responsible for the operations at the provincial level in terms of that collaboration with, say, Service Alberta or, um, you know, the folks in British Columbia or even in, you know, some of the other, um, some of the other provinces, the relationship between the government agencies that test new drivers, issue driver's licenses, and then, you know, your colleagues who are doing enforcement on the road. I wish. And I have a big smile because when I came to EMVA, I saw the cohesion that you have between these three committees. Yeah. And in Canada, I would like to say it's the same, but it's not. I explained to you that there's different laws, you know, for the motor vehicle branch. So it's really hard. Like, I mean, people seems to deal with their own provinces when it comes to those topics. It yeah. would be better if we have, like, let's say a symposium where we could get everyone involved and be able to share best practices. But this is not the case. We're working on something. I know we have the CCMTA, and I'm sorry, mm -hmm. I don't know. the. Can it's a Canadian association. Yes. Quite comparable with... Um, you know, EMVA, what EMVA is doing. 
I am, you know, we have ongoing uh, conversation now that we're trying to start to have something similar ongoing to have much more um, um, togetherness amongst yeah. all these different organizations, but we're not there yet. Yeah, the, yeah CCMTA could be a, a good yes, opportunity to, to build some of that oh, yes. coordination. Yeah, yes. that makes a lot of sense. And so as you, you know, you're sitting on the law enforcement committee and you're seeing some of the different products that AMVA is developing, uh, have you had the opportunity to say, hey, you know, AMVA did this, let's, let's take a look at this at the RCMP. I wonder if there's any good examples of where you've been able to take some stuff and home. Vitus. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. So what I did is I ensured that there's someone from my group, the national team, that we have uh, national traffic programs, to have someone from my team as an SME on this group to be able to get himself educated with the process and be able to disseminate it across the members in the RCMP. Having said that, because Brian was uh, fortunate enough to come to, uh, well, we were fortunate, actually, not him. We were fortunate. He was to have fortunate, him, too. It's okay. We can say <laughs> to that. To have him come to Ottawa. Yeah. And it was a good... Uh, I know that we've been meeting a lot, and I'm sorry, I'm 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 I'm, I'm talking about something else. But I've been yeah. uh, fortunate to be able to meet members from the Enva communities yeah. much more than in Canada. In Canada, when we had that meeting, was the first time for most of the members who were there to meet. Yeah. So it, it, there, what I'm trying to say is, these people we have never met them before, not even virtually at times, because we didn't have that. Uh, how could I say, they, they didn't have any uh, creation of having a um, annual meetings within these representatives, which is quite um, detrimental to the program because you need to have those consultation goings to be able to share those best practices. So having said that, last September was the first time that all the regional, if oh, I may say. Even just within the RCMP, people meeting each other. Well, since I've been there, and yeah. I've been there since April of 2021. I've been the officer in charge of that program since 2021. But they've told me that prior to that, they've never met. Oh, wow. They knew of each other, but never met. Wishes, you understand the importance and the benefits of meeting in person. Yep. And phone calls are can be done, but it's not, you know, the, uh, the end of all. Like, you need... Uh, it's not the panacea when you know you you contact people this way. So having the in-person meeting not only it created a, um, a platform where they met right. Brian and understood what Enva was because despite the fact that I came to the Enva uh, meetings, but I went back to work and explain it to people, it was hard for them to understand that concept of having someone from the Enva community and explain it to them and uh, the roles and the mandates make it more uh, attainable. Because yeah. they went and, and, and from that meeting, I know that people have contact directly, Brian, to ensure that they are in the next meetings. That's great. Yes. Great. Well, Shirley, I really appreciate you spending some time with me today. Um, just wanted to have this conversation to get a casual glimpse into the RCMP. You know, we, we know of it. We talk about of it. Like I said at the outset, you know, who doesn't know the Mountie? But, you know, what what is it really? And so I really appreciate you helping me unpack it and explain it to our listeners a little bit. And, uh, you know, look forward to growing this partnership and collaboration. We are, you know, echo Brian, you know, you being involved and engaged and willing to be at these meetings is just huge in moving this needle and moving our partnership forward. I feel very fortunate to be a partner with Emva. And, uh, to, and the thing is, I feel like they really, truly embrace um, the, uh, the, some of the solution or my contributions into the EMVA, despite the fact that I'm Canadian. Because at first, it's hard for people to comprehend and wrap their head around what is a Canadian person doing at EMVA, what are the benefits, because it seems to be American-centric. But it goes beyond. Like Brian said, we share the same concerns and the, the practices that you have here. We can 
definitely bring them up there and mm -hmm. same vice versa the things that we experience in uh, in Canada we can also bring some of the solutions that we have into uh, you know the Enver community and uh, and, and progress that way. Yeah, absolutely. And, in, and after all, you know, AMVA is a North American association. All of the Canadian provinces and territories exactly. are members. We've had a history of solid engagement on the traditional DMV side of the Canadian agencies. I think, you know, law enforcement historically has been more of a challenge, and that's why we're so excited. And I think recognizing that RCMP is in many ways both the federal agency and the equivalent of the jurisdiction agency um, was really eye-opening to, to some of us and might, you know, like Brian said, having those folks at the Region 4 meeting and maybe some other examples like that going forward is really going to oh, add, yes. add to that engagement. Oh, yes, very beneficial to us. Great. Well, thanks, Shirley. Thanks for your time. Um, thanks to Brian for being here. Thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks to our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Till next week, everyone, stay well. Thank you for joining us for AmbaCast. Hosted by Ian Grossman. Produced by Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Music by Gibson Arthur. This episode was brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America. Visit us at amvacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.